All right, so we're looking at God's financial principles, lesson number two. We're going to see from God's Word today what it says about controlling our expenses and debts. One of the first uh, things we'll, we'll talk about today, principle number one, is this, that seeking counsel is something that God encourages us to do. It's, it's a wise thing to do to seek counsel. So this is something God's encouraged us to do before we make decisions, and there's many verses that talk about this. For example, look, let's start in Proverbs 19. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs 19, look at verse 20. Proverbs 19, verse 20, this, these are the words of the living God. He says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Some people avoid seeking counsel from other people for various reasons. Uh, often it's because of our own pride that, that uh, stops us from seeking counsel. But the Bible's clear that we should seek counsel. Try to get uh, insight from other people. Gain suggestions that will help you in making the best decisions in your life. Scripture encourages us to ask advice from several different sources. Let's just quickly go through uh, the, the different sources that the Bible mentions. Of course, number one is the Bible itself. Uh, for example, look uh, on the screen here, Hebrews 4.12. We, we know we should come to the Bible because it, notice what it says. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints, and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This book that we have that we call the Bible is like no other book. We read last week from Peter that God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Why not go there, start there? Well, God's also given some of us a spouse. God's given you a spouse, and you should thank God for that if He's given you one. And if you don't have one yet, uh, you can pray for one. But if you are married, the first person that you need to consult is your spouse. According to the Bible, in fact, uh, it says that a husband and wife become one flesh when they're married. And so they need each other to make proper decisions. Yes, you heard me right. We need each other to make wise decisions. <laughs> now, in, I'm speaking in general terms, painting with a really broad brush here, but it's interesting, if you do enough reading on this subject, you often find that women tend to be gifted in a different area from men. Women tend to be gifted in, in their intuitive nature. They, it's, it's, like, it's almost like they can somehow see the future like us guys, for whatever reason, we can't see it. It's, it's amazing how often my wife is right when we're making decisions, and I'm like, where'd you pull that from? You know, where did that come from? Uh, it's, just, it's just an intuitive thing. And most of the time she's right, and I thank God for that. But men tend to focus more on the facts. They love to analyze things. Now, again, I'm speaking generally. My wife is very good at this one, too. I don't know how she can be so good at both. I praise God for that. But most people are just more gifted toward one or the other. 
Some people just, they, they got to list all the pros and the cons before they make a decision, and then, you know, whichever one is, is the best, they go with that. That's all right to do that. But guys, particularly, I encourage you to listen to your wives. Don't overanalyze things. Now listen to what God says here in Genesis 2.18. This is God. He says, because it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Does God know what's best? Of course he does. Is God great and good all the time? Of course he is. So if God knows you better than you know yourself and anybody else knows you, he gives us helpers. Ladies, that includes you. He gives you a husband. Guys, he gives you a wife, spouse, whoever that is. God knows you. He fits you together. He knows your weaknesses and your strengths. And if you're weak in one area, he's probably going to give you someone who is strength, who is strong in the area you're weak in. Praise God for that. So we, we should consult the Bible, of course, our, our spouses, and number three, our parents. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. God says God, He gives us our parents as well. Now, who, whoever's writing this particular proverb was, of course, a parent writing to his son. Look at this, Proverbs Chapter 6, verse 20. Proverbs 6, 20 says this in your Bibles. Have a look at this. It says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. That's figurative language. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. In other words, they're going to be a help. They're going to guide you. So use use the parents, in other words, that God has given to you. After all, think about this. They have years of experience, invaluable years of experience, and they know you very well. So if you still have parents, use them. Seek their advice. Number four, seek out godly people. Again, look what uh, Psalm chapter 1 says. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, look at verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. These are ungodly people. Don't seek their advice. Don't walk in their counsel. Uh, Then it goes on to say, Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. God clearly says, don't don't seek the advice of ungodly people, but seek godly people. Seek his word. Number five. God also exhorts us to seek the advice from many counselors. Not just one, but many counselors. Each of us needs to do this because all of us, don't, we don't know everything. We have a limited range of knowledge and experience. And therefore, we need the input from other people. It helps to give us insight 
to stimulate our thinking. Well, what are the alternatives? Some of us may only see one option. So one of the good things of going and talking to many counselors is you get to see a bigger picture. By the way, even unsaved people can be helpful here. For example, uh, just just some examples that have, uh, have come to my mind is you might go talk to your bank manager. Okay, the bank managers can be an unsaved person, but will help give you insights in areas that you don't know. Or you can go talk to your accountant or an accountant. Again, accountants have expertise in areas you don't know, most likely. Or go talk to a financial advisor or whatever. You know, someone who's going to be able to help you in ways that you don't know. You're going to expand your vision and your world to understand things better. Well, look what Proverbs 15 says about advice from many counselors. Proverbs 15. Somehow I've got the wrong. Oh, I'm in Psalms. No wonder that's not right. Proverbs 15 helps when you're in the right book of the Bible. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Verse 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Notice it's many advisors, many counselors will will help you, help steer you in the right direction, most likely. I mean, again, Proverbs is speaking in general truths here. Doesn't mean it's always going to be that way, but generally speaking, it will succeed. But the Bible also tells us there's certain groups or, or people that you should avoid. Avoid fortune tellers, mediums, and spiritualists. So I mean, you, that would include people who want to read your palms or use tarot cards or crystal balls or whatever it might be. Uh, look what uh, Leviticus 19, verse 31 says. Here's what God says. He says, Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourself unclean by them. Why does God say this? He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Now it's interesting, King Saul, the first king of Israel, didn't obey God in this way. And the Bible actually says, as a result of this, in part at least, he he ended up dying in part as a result of going to see a medium. Well, some of your Bibles might call this person a witch. But look what First Chronicles 10 says. It says, So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the commandment of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, look what God says. He says, The Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David. So do you see that? Part of the reason why Saul died is the result of trying to seek guidance in the wrong places. So this would, by the way, uh, include us trying to seek guidance from the occult, uh, looking at horoscopes. Yeah, trying, don't, don't look at the stars to try to find out what God's will is. All right, the stars are there to declare God's glory and His handiwork. 
Alright, so any, any method that, that is trying to use to forecast the future, God says no, unless it's His Word. By the way, let me just give you a warning here, because I've had this happen to me several times. Beware of the charismatics who want to come up to you and say they have a word for you. Or the charismatic who says, hey, i got a prophecy for you. That is not the advice that you should be seeking. Okay? Unless they quote Scripture, you need to ignore that. Because that is unsound advice. So what do, does the Bible say about spending God's money wisely? Says, says a lot of things. So let's look at some biblical truths to spending wisely. Number one, God says, learn to be content with what He's given you. Learn to be content. Now, the word contentment is used seven times in Scripture, and interestingly enough, six out of those seven times, it's used in reference to... Uh, um, it has to do with money. Let's put it that way. It has to do with money. Okay? Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Here, here's a classic example of this. Philippians chapter 4. It's in your New Testament. It's after Ephesians. Before Colossians. Philippians chapter 4. Paul is talking about God's provision here. And in the midst of talking of God's provision, talking about money... He also mentions contentment. Everyone there? Philippians 4. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. Which says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul says, I I learned this secret, which isn't really a secret. I learned that in any and every circumstance, how to be content in those circumstances. Well, you, you might ask the question, well, how can I learn to be content? I mean, I'm poor. <laughs> I've got some bad circumstances, or i got a lot of debt, or whatever it might be. How can that even be possible? Well, number one, God gives us life experiences. And through life experiences, you can, you can grow to learn to be content. Study the Bible. By studying the Bible, you'll, you read about people like Paul, for example, and what he went through and how he learned to be content despite life was throwing all sorts of nasty things at him. So we can learn by believing what the Bible says. But what you believe is important in how you're going to act. So the Bible says everything we have comes from God, and if you believe that, it will make all the difference in your outlook on life, won't it? If you really believe everything comes from God, for example, look at this on the screen. James 1, 17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So God's promise, by the way, to provide everything that you need And it's right in the context here of Philippians 4. It says this, verse 19. Look at that. Verse 19, it says, 
Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. By the way, notice it says every need. Doesn't say God's going to supply your every want. Although I must say God is very good. Not only is he supplying my needs, he supplies many of my wants. And if there's wants that he hasn't supplied, my, my outlook is tr- I'm trying to believe that God knows what's best for me and he's not giving me that want because he knows better than me. He knows that wouldn't be good for me. At least I'm trying to believe that. I keep telling myself that. Uh, Philippians, or sorry, 1 Timothy 6, verse 18, or verse 8 says, If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing. Those are some basic needs of life. Are you content with that? You can be. It's possible. Possibly content with that. By the way, what is contentment, you might say? Contentment is just an inner peace where you you come to a point where you're accepting that God has chosen this for you, at least in the present. That doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. It doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. But at least your your present financial situation is this way because God has given that to you for the moment. And so an inner peace will come when you believe that truth. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says this. This is helpful. Look at this on the screen. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, notice this truth of God makes all the difference in in your life. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You say, how can I be content? Well, no God. No God. No God. By the way, how does our culture discourage contentment? You, You realize we are surrounded by this world. This world is striving to push you into its mold, conforming you to itself, and there's, they're throwing everything at you. They're tr- the world is trying to brainwash you, cause you to be discontent. Did you know that? You need to be aware of that. If you don't know that, open your eyes. I'm trying to open your eyes here. Okay. Do you know how that is happening? One of the major ways that's happening is through advertisements. They're everywhere, aren't they? The billboards, magazines, television. They're in the newspapers. They're on the radio. Isn't that obnoxious? You try to listen to News Talk ZB, get some interesting conversation, and it seems like it's mostly ads, right? The ads are there bombarding you, trying to cause you to be discontent. Hey, you can't live without this. Buy me, right? That's what it's telling you. You can't live without this. You have to have this now. Right? And you go to the stores and they're trying to suck you in. We'll give you 40 months interest free. Buy now. And you get 40 months interest free. Seems like the number keeps growing every year. All these advertisements are trying to cause you to be discontent. Salesmen, you know, they knock on your door, they give you a phone call, they, they talk to you in the stores or, where, you know, wherever you might be. They're also trying to cause you to be discontent. Just be aware of that. So learn to be content. Number two, 
Trust God to provide. Trust God to provide. After all, he knows everything. He knows what you and I need. Even, by the way, even before we ask him, he already knows. And so we must trust him to provide the things we need. Even even things you can't afford. There may be something where you, you might need it. I've done this before. I'm thinking I need this at least. And I'm saying, I can't afford that. How is that going to happen? And so you pray, and you, and I've asked God to provide for my needs when I can't afford it, and He does. He's always been faithful to me. Look at Proverbs 3. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 3. If you don't have this verse memorized, I highly recommend you memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So trust God. Trust Him. You, you, the idea is you're believing. You're, you're putting your faith in Him. Not just, if you're a believer... You've already done this in regards to eternal life. And that's far more important than your debt or your whatever else that you're concerned about. Okay? If God's taking care of your eternal life, do you think He's also going to take care of your other needs? Of course He will. You can trust Him for that. Number three. God also says to avoid coveting. Avoid coveting. You say, well, what is Coveting. Coveting is when you're craving another person's property. I think I've told you this before. God has a sense of humor, and he seems to always surround me with people with boats. I just have this thing with boats, okay? I would, I would love to own one one day, and uh, I, I confess I often covet boats, all right? I admit it, and I have to repent of my sin often. Okay, And God has this humor. Wherever I seem to move, there's at least one boat somewhere nearby that I have to look at regularly. Okay, And in my neighborhood, I'm oh, my, at least one of my neighbors has one. The guy in the back fence has one, and he's constantly starting up his motor, reminding me that he has a boat. And so I, I struggle with that. All right? And so if, you know, if I'm looking at that boat thinking, ooh, man, that would be really nice. I could go out and catch some fish and put some food on my family's table and of course you try to justify having this expensive boat right but if if it's if it's a really strong craving it can become sin and god says don't do that (laughs) okay it's a sin and you say where is that well look at is (laughs) exodus chapter 20 for example says you shall not covet your neighbor's house and i have to include in there my neighbor's boat and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. And some of you could insert horse in there or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, that covers everything, doesn't it? So whatever, whatever it is that you have this really strong craving for thinking, I want that. And, and you're, you might even be tempted to steal it. You want it so bad. That tells you you're coveting. God says avoid coveting. Number four, live simply. Live simply. Do you know some possessions end up owning you? 
Instead of you owning the possession, the possession owns you. That's not living simply. And, and some possessions just demand so much of our time and money, they actually end up harming your relationship with Jesus Christ. They end up causing your relationships with your loved ones to be hurt as well. I'll just give you a few examples. How, well, how can this happen? Well, some people end up buying a, a second house, and in New Zealand, we usually call those batches, right? Uh, I, I have heard of people, they go and buy a batch, and the batch, you know, every spare moment is has something to do with that. It becomes like an anchor to their life. It, it becomes a distraction to the relationship with their loved ones and to Jesus Christ. For some people, it might be a farm, Okay, farm can be used for God's glory, but I tell you, I I spent a lot of time on a farm, working on my uncle's farm, and I and I always hated to see my aunt and uncle, just they they were a slave to the farm. A lot of times they didn't even go to church because of the farm. And when I worked on the farm, it was incredibly difficult for me to get to church on time because of the farm. The cows had to be milked every single morning. You can use it for the right purposes, but you have to be aware of these sort of things that they they can also become a huge distraction. So, and of course, you could add to the list of things like boats, even your own business. Some people who own their own business are so distracted by that they they can't do other things that God wants them to do. Well, they could, <laughs> but they choose not to. If you know what I mean. So Scripture actually encourages us to live a quiet and simple life. For example, look at this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 says, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instruct you. You may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul was seeking to set a model example to the church at Thessalonica. So he told them, hey, live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your own hands. But, but yeah, we have to be careful. We don't, we don't want to become overburdened by the stuff of life, distracted by the cares of this world. So live simply. Number five, needs should be met within the church. It's a biblical principle that needs should be met within the church. The early church was a very good model of this, meeting needs of of other people did you know it's not the government's responsibility to take care of everybody to become a nanny state did you know that Uh, let me give you an example from scripture here second corinthians 8 verse 13 says this for i do not mean that others should be eased and you burden but that as a matter of fairness your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And that's just one example we could look, but if you read in the book of Acts, particularly in Acts chapter 2, for example, you see this community sharing amongst the, the Christians, meeting each other's needs. It wasn't the government's responsibility. It wasn't Caesar's responsibility. The church was meeting their needs if, if they had needs. And so 
we need to be aware of this, and we need to plan for that. We need to live this way. When you see a brother or sister in need, you meet their needs. <laughs> Pray how, how you can meet their needs. Pray that God would provide for them. Number six, be aware of the influence of advertising. We've already touched on this, but let me just uh, again remind you that advertising is purposely trying to create discontentment in you. It's communicating a deceptive message. It's trying to deceive you. It's telling you to buy something, and if you have this, then you're going to be happy. (laughs) Really? How often have you thought that, and you go and buy it, and you're not happy? You ever had that happen to you? Thinking, ooh, you know, if I have that, that's going to make me happy. And then you get it, and you're like, oh, that wasn't so good after all, right? Happens to us all the time, right? But the purpose of advertising is to prompt you to spend money. You watch those advertisements on TV, right? You see a big, juicy hamburger from some fast food restaurant, and you're you're sitting there just salivating, thinking, oh, oh, man, that, that beef looks bigger than life, and the tomatoes and the onions and the lettuce and everything on there is just looking so yummy i'm i'm gonna go get one it's causing this discontentment in you and before that you weren't thinking you know you just had dinner you're not hungry that's what it tends to do in us i remember one time when my wife was pregnant this is when we lived in hastings and She is she is never like this, but uh, she 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 had me go out like ten o'clock at night. I had to go to BK to Burger King and buy a Whopper. That's a burger, in case you didn't know what that was. I was like, whoa! I, and I don't think it was just because she was pregnant, by the way. Advertising has something to do with that. So anyway, here's the point: seek God's guidance when making decisions. Seek God's guidance when making decisions. So beware of the influence of advertising. Now, I've given you on the screen here, there's a PowerPoint of uh, two different families' incomes. I hope this is helpful. And this is, I don't know where all these figures come from. But notice, one family's income is, is $50,000. The other is $100,000. Okay? But notice the bottom line figure. <laughs> this is interesting. The bottom line figure basically ends up using up all the money. Now, some people think, you know, if I had more money, then you know, life would be so much better. But this is often the way it is. People use up what God gives them. And one, one family has twice the amount of money, but they're still using it all up. It's interesting, and one of the reasons for that is advertising. We're, we're never satisfied. Advertising is causing you to be discontent. So be aware of that. Well, the Bible tells us to not be conformed to this world in Romans 12. Look at this. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that's all chapters 1 through 11, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The negative command is do not be conformed. Do not be pressed into this world's mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So don't allow the advertising to press you into its mold. It's what it's seeking to do. 
You, God says, no, don't be conformed to the world. Don't. Instead, you need to have your mind transformed. How's that going to happen? Notice it's, it's going to happen through the Scriptures. God's going to give you discernment through His Word. And then you'll know what is good and acceptable and perfect. Number seven. <clears throat> Number seven is develop and use a spending plan. Some might call this a budget. Right? Spending. Say, why use a spending plan? Why use a budget? Because you ever heard the saying, when you don't have a target, you're going to hit it every time? You ever heard that? If you're not aiming at a target, you're going to hit it every single time. It's like taking out a bow and arrow. There's no target out there, right? No target. You shoot the arrow. What are you going to hit? Well, you're not going to hit the target, right? It's the same in your spending. If, you, if, if you're just spending money, you, you don't keep track. You have no idea where the money's going. It's like having holes in the bottom of your bucket. Right? You ever have a bucket with holes in it, pour water in it, water runs out? You're like, wow, that went out fast. Where did it all go? That's the way it's going to be with your money. So the Bible encourages us to plan our spending. It encourages us to be aware of the possessions that God has given you. That's what a wise steward does. So using a budget is just a practical way to help you spend wisely. And look what uh, Proverbs 27 says. Proverbs chapter 27. God understands this truth, and He's given us some wisdom here. So look what He says. Proverbs 27, verse 23. God says, Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. By the way, most of us don't have a farm. (laughs) Most of us don't have flocks and herds. We don't have lots of animals, right? But the point still applies. God's given you possessions. You may not have a farm, but you do have possessions. And God says, know whatever you have, know it well. Pay attention. What is going on? So one of the ways you can do that is have a spending plan or a budget. On the screen here, I've given you the PowerPoint of a sample budget. If you don't know how to do this, there's heaps of free sample templates on the Internet. Okay? There's there's many you can find whatever works for you. Okay, that's just one example. Okay, but notice notice so there's there's the budget column, but then there's the actual column. What did you actually spend in that column? In that budget item. Okay, so can be helpful to keep track of both of those because they're not necessarily going to match up. Now there's a website that I that I found out about uh, from... It, the website, by the way, is called sorted.org.nz. Sorted.org.nz. If you're not familiar with that, write it down, have a look at it. There's so much good wisdom there. It's called Sorted. And, there's, uh, and here's a, uh, one of the PowerPoints from this website. It, uh, it helps you with all sorts of things. I mean, if you look up there, it'll help you with your planning. It helps you with your debt. It helps you with your saving. It helps you to get out of debt. <laughs> okay, it does all of that stuff. It gives you calculators to use if you have a mortgage. Uh, it'll help you to get, you know, with your mortgage and, and, and your debt and savings and so forth. So a couple other PowerPoints here for you. Look at this one. Uh, there's, there's stuff there that will help you with your money planning, for example. 
So you, you can type in your income, you can type in your debt, savings, expenses, and then it, and it'll help you with your budgeting. Okay, if you don't know how to do that, that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, there's another one up here, so so you you put in your things like your food and other line items, and so it'll really help you to figure out what's going on. Okay, I found that a helpful website. Uh, some of you might just want to you, you can use PowerPoint Excel. You know, if you don't want to do that, I know that's what my wife often uses. Okay, let's talk about debt now. What is debt? Debt is money which you or someone is obligated to pay to another person. You've, you've borrowed or whatever, and so you need to pay that back. So by the way, debt can include money owed on your credit cards, uh, owed to a bank. It could be money you own through a loan, a mortgage, uh, or even something you've, money you've borrowed from family and friends. But it doesn't matter really where it comes from, it, it's all debt. God has something to say on that. So let's see what God's perspective is on debt. Number one, God says uh, he discourages it. God discourages debt. So debt is discouraged in places like Romans 13, verse 8. The Bible says, owe no one anything. So that's not a command. But the idea is that this is what God is, is, is seeking for us to be. Okay, That's the goal. You want to try to strive to get to the point where you're not owing anything to the banks, your family, friends, or, or anyone else. Because God discourages it. And why does He discourage it? Because God calls it slavery. God calls debt slavery. For example, look at Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Have a look at it. God says in Proverbs 22, verse 7, look at verse 7, He says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. So if you, say if you have a mortgage, for example, you're a, you're a slave. As long as that mortgage hangs around your neck, you're a slave. So you want to get rid of that as quickly as possible, whatever debt you have, so you're no longer a slave. And that's important to do because God wants us to be free in our lives. He wants us to be free. Why? So we can serve Him and other people. It frustrates me that, that I still have a mortgage. I was hoping to get rid of that thing by the age of 40. Well, that hasn't happened. I wanted to get rid of that thing so I was, I'd be more free to help people and to serve God. But I, but I can't because every, every month paying out toward this mortgage. And it's frustrating, especially in the beginning when you, when you have debt, most of it ends up going to pay the interest. You're not actually paying the principal on that debt. And that should frustrate us, and it does. All right, But God also says that debt is, is a problem because it's actually presuming on the future. It's presuming on the future. When we get into debt, we're assuming something. We're assuming, and it may not be correct, by the way, we're assuming that we're going to earn enough income going down the road to actually pay that debt. Well, that may not be the case. And by the way, the Bible discourages presumption. It discourages us from assuming. For example, look at James 4. 
James 4 says this, Come now, you who say tomorrow or, or today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Notice the word profit. That's an assumption. Notice what God says about presuming. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God discourages assumptions and presuming. It's dangerous. What are some factors that lead to debt? Here's how we can get ourselves into debt. Number one, lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. Some people have not been trained to handle money God's way. They don't know what the Bible says about how to handle the money and the possessions that God gives us. And so they get themselves into trouble because they've never had these great principles. Sometimes there's a lack of planning and discipline in our lives that gets into, into debt. And many people are just very impulsive. By the way, if that's you, if you're the impulsive kind... Either you need to have somebody controlling your credit cards, get rid of your credit cards, <laughs> do something, okay? Credit cards are so dangerous. You, you end up spending money that you don't actually have and get yourself into huge debt with really high interest. So if you're the impulsive type, I don't suggest you use credit cards. I don't suggest you walk around malls, <laughs> okay? Because then you end up buying stuff you don't actually need. But instead, you need a written plan, a written budget to ensure that that spending is not actually exceeding your income. And many years ago, uh, one of the ways Lori and I were, were doing this to, to help ourselves is when we got paid for the month, we would we'd get all the cash for the entire month. We had these little envelopes, and we, we put all the, the budgeted items in the envelopes. All the bills were paid. We paid God. We gave God His money. Whatever was left over, if there was any left over, well, that's kind of the miscellaneous money we spent for the month. And so any impulse buying only came from that envelope. Everything else was taken care of. If, you're, if you don't have the self-discipline, then you might need to go that kind of a, a way of working. So lack of knowledge can get you in trouble. Lack of planning and discipline. And number three, just indulgence. Some people... Spend their, and while they're doing this, they're trying to satisfy their fleshly desires. Lust of the flesh just grabs them. Dangerous. Circumstances can also lead to debt. Sometimes unexpected emergencies might come up. I mean, do you, do you plan for car accidents? Do you plan for cancer? You know, your mother needs help or, you know, I'm just thinking some of, some of you have been through things. You, you weren't planning on this stuff happening. You might not plan on the, on the, uh, the transmission in your car to die or your refrigerator just conk out. You know, you don't, well, maybe you do. If you're wise, you might plan on those things, but a lot of people don't and circumstances can get you into debt. So let's think about then, if, if that's the case, debt repayments. Because debt needs to be paid off. You're, God says you're a slave to the debt. So what is your responsibility? Well, godly people pay their debts. And by the way, godly people pay their debts as promptly as they possibly can. So again, look at what Proverbs 3 says. Proverbs 3. 
Proverbs 3, verse 27. Proverbs 3, 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. So you, you pay when you have it. And if you don't have it, then you pray for God to provide. So how to get out of debt then? You say, hey, I'm in debt. How do you get out of debt? Well, start with prayer to begin with. Begin with prayer like 1 Peter 5 or 7 says, you cast all your anxieties, your care, your worries on God. Why? Why do you start there? Because, number one, He cares for you. He knows your needs. He knows what's going on in your life. And number two, give the first portion of your income to the Lord. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm in debt. Why should I give to God? Because that's what biblical wisdom tells us to do. Look at Proverbs 3 again, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Notice the result. When God is first in your life, God says this general principle is your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. With wine, sorry. It just says wine. In other words, God's going to provide. Now, you may not have a farm. In fact, I don't think any of us have farms, right? So we don't have farms, but God says, hey, I'm going to put money in your bank accounts. I'm going to provide for you in different ways. I'm going to cause your, your stuff to run, not break down, or whatever. God provides in different ways when we honor Him with our wealth and with our possessions. Number three, this one's obvious, really no need of explanation. Don't accumulate any more debt. If you're in debt, you've got to stop it. Stop it. Deal with that debt. Get yourself out of debt. And then you can move on. One of the ways you can do this is, number four, you list all your debts and everything you own. You've got to find out, what, where am I exactly? It's like someone who's lost in the bush. One of the worst things some people do is they just kind of wander around in circles and get themselves more lost. And, and then when the search and rescue party comes after them, nobody knows where that guy is. That's dangerous. Well, don't do that in the world of finances either. So you list your debts, determine your current financial situation. Then when you do that, then you can find out, okay, where am I at? How am I going to get out of this? Some people might need to go and sell some possessions to help reduce their debt. I've known of guys, for example, they go and sell their batch, they go and sell their boat, they go and sell something else that's worth a lot of money to help get themselves out of debt. Number five, use a written spending plan or budget. That'll help get yourself out of debt. A plan is helpful. You can see the big picture this way. So particularly, you need to make sure that your income exceeds your spending. So if you're spending more than your income, guess what's going to happen? Kind of obvious, but let's make sure we're clear. What's going to happen? You're going to continue to go in debt, right? You're going to go into the red. So what you have to do is lower your spending underneath your income so you can get out of debt. Number six, establish a repayment plan for each debt. Have a plan. How are you, you going to get there? Right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So if you're thinking you're, 
you're dead as an elephant, you say, whoa, man, that's huge. How am I ever going to eat that thing? How am I going to get rid of that elephant? One bite at a time. All right, so many creditors are, are willing to work with you if you're willing to work with them. If you're open and honest with a creditor that you're, you're a slave to that group, that person, they're, they're, they want their money. They want their money. And so if, you're, if you come up with a plan, this is what I'm going to do, a lot of people will work with you, even banks. So provide the creditor with a repayment, repayment schedule. You figure out what can you do. How are you going to accomplish this? And then you need to be faithful to follow through with that plan. Creditor's not going to be impressed if you're constantly breaking your word. By the way, here's some wise advice that I've heard. Is uh, pay off the debt with the highest interest rates first. Which a lot of times that's going to be credit card debts. Credit card debt. Let's say if the credit card debt's 20%. Right? And if you have, let's say you have a mortgage and the mortgage is only 6%, it doesn't make sense to go and pay off the mortgage and you leave the credit card debt at 20%, right? That's far more money in interest. So you want to get rid of the, the one with the highest interest rate first. And then you, then you can take the money toward that and use it towards the next debt. And just keep working your way down. Somebody also suggested that you try to pay off the smallest debts once you get rid of the highest interest rate. Hopefully that equals the smallest as well. But getting rid of the small ones, first you feel like you're, you're encouraged, you're accomplishing something, it's, get, it's moving. And once you paid off the first debt, then you can add that payment onto your second debt. And once you get rid of the second debt, you can add that payment onto the third debt if, if you have that many. Okay? And, the, and the point is you're eventually you'll get to the point where all debt is paid off. Well, I've alluded to the two big debts that a lot of us have. Uh, one of those would be credit cards. The other one would be people's mortgages or, or rent. Uh, here's a PowerPoint that might be helpful. Again, coming from uh, sorted.org.nz. There you have a credit card debt calculator. So if you have credit, and, and by the way, it's huge amount in New Zealand. The average amount of credit card debt in New Zealand is massive. We're we're talking tens of thousands here. The interest that people are wasting on credit card debt is astounding. It is shocking. It's no wonder we're we're in so so much trouble. But uh, using a credit card debt calculator will help you to get out of debt quickly. So uh, one of the things I wanted you to notice, look at the bottom. Look at the bottom here. It tells you the interest that you're paying. So in this credit card number one, notice the amount owed is only $4,000. Well, I shouldn't say only. But in this case, paying, what, 18% interest on the $4,000, you're wasting $2,154. That's what credit card interest will do to you just wipes you out. So having a credit card uh, calculator can be helpful. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, They also have a a mortgage calculator on sorted.org. And I want you to notice, one of the things I want you to notice here is how much can you save on interest? Now, when I had a lot more money than I do now, 
Lori and I used to we used to put huge lump sums on the principal on our mortgage. We would pay like $5,000 at a time, dumping the money so that in the long run, we save ourselves thousands and thousands of dollars. I'll just give you an example here with this mortgage calculator. For example, you'll see uh, for this mortgage, total amount owed is around $200,000, okay? And at the bottom, it says interest on that is basically half of it. So really, they only owe $100,000 on their house, and they're paying the bank $100,000, okay? Time for repayment, 25 years. By the time they're done, they're going to be 55 years old. It's just soul-destroying, I know, yeah. But having a mortgage calculator can get you out of that quicker if, if you're able to. Some of us are, may not be able to. But, but notice on the next slide, if you pay more on the principal, if you increase the amount in, uh, notice at the bottom, increase your fortnightly payments, if you increased it, say, from $313 to $413, look how much you save. You save yourself over $47,000 in interest. See, that's, that's, the, that's the compounded interest does to you. It just keeps piling up on you. And, and uh, there's a lot of people who end up paying more than their house is worth because of the interest. So having a mortgage calculator might uh, help stimulate you and, and uh, help you get out of debt quicker. Number seven, we're almost done. Last one here, it says, uh, consider earning additional income if your job doesn't meet your needs. Well, a lot of people are, are that way. I, I have to do that too, you know. So I understand if, if that's you. So usually you notice in October, November, December, I go work another a second job to help meet the needs. Okay, A lot of people are that way. That's fine. It's not sinful. God sometimes uses that in our lives to meet our needs. Well, that brings up one other issue I want to address is what about co-signing? Uh, this is this has certainly come up, comes up in churches even. Co- you say, well, what is co-signing? Well, that's when you become legally responsible for someone else's debt. Very dangerous thing. The Bible talks about this. So it's what what it, what happens is it's just as if you've borrowed the money. And then you give it to a friend uh, who is asking you to co-sign, to be responsible. Ooh, do you want to be responsible for somebody else's debt? Wow. After all, the Bible says the borrower is, is a slave to the lender. It's bad enough when we have our own debt. Do you want to be responsible for someone else's debt? Yee, that's scary. That is scary stuff. So look here in your Bibles, Proverbs 17. Look what God says about about this. Proverbs 17, verse 18. God says, One who lacks sense gives a pledge. The the idea is there you're pledging, you're co-signing. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. So what does God think about co-signing? Pledging someone else's debt. God says you lack sense. (laughs) In other words, don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't go there. Your debt is enough. You don't need someone else's. Well, last question I have for you is, when, when is debt acceptable? 
Because some say, oh, there's no debt that's acceptable. Some, some go overboard the other direction on this. So, is any debt acceptable? And if it is, what? Well, actually, the Bible is silent on this issue. So I, I look to many counselors and advisors on this issue. All right? In places like Crown Financial Ministries, for example, they would say there's, uh, it, it's permissible doesn't mean you have to, but it's permissible to owe money for three purposes. All right? Here's the three purposes that they've stated. Number one, if you have a business. Because your business, your business is your business, of course, it'll provide for your needs. And, and hopefully if you ever got in a situation, you could, you could uh, sell it. For example, I know at least one person in here used to have a farm. Sell the farm, God provides. All right? Most of us have, or many of us at least, have home mortgages. Okay, Most of us don't have enough money, especially when you're newly married, to go and buy the entire house without going into debt. That is a suitable, proper debt. Because you could always sell the house and get yourself out of debt, theoretically. Uh, the other one they mentioned is education. So going to university or Wintech or doing education online or whatever it might be actually can help you to get to a point where you can provide for yourself and your family. So those are just some ideas of acceptable debt. So good news, good news. God has loved us so much. He's given us his word that has all these financial principles. He's given us the Bible, providing us everything we need for life and godliness. So the, ex- the exhortation is that you use what God has given to you. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. And let's pray that God would, would cause us to understand these principles and we would recognize He's the owner of everything. All the money and the possessions is His, and we're stewards. May we learn how to spend His money wisely.